Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 19th. That was a weird day three of the 2022 Australian Open. So many funky results for us to break down on today's show. Perhaps most pressingly, the five-set victories we saw from Sebastian Korda and Denis Shapovalov. If you ask me for one adjective to describe the Korda-Mute battle we saw unfold yesterday, I would use the word puzzling. Puzzling, puzzling match between those two young talents. And for Sebastian Corda, the silver lining, he was down 5-4 in the fourth set, ultimately able to overcome that deficit. But a lot of things just weren't working for him on court yesterday. And some of that credit certainly needs to go to Quarantine Mute for making him uncomfortable. But there are many takeaways from that match I'd like to share on today's show. Of course, for Shapovalov, he survives once again. Didn't look great in his first round match over Laszlo Jure. Didn't look great yesterday against Sun Wu Kwan. Ultimately, though, Shapovalov able to advance in five sets. Of course, there were a couple of players who looked excellent on the day. In particular, Amanda Nisimova continues to rock and roll undefeated still in 2021. Earns a signature win of the last 52 weeks as she knocks off number 22 seed Belinda Bencic in straight sets. I want to talk about why Anisimova can seriously knock off Naomi Osaka in their third round matchup. Of course, you also had an upset from young talent Marta Kostyuk. She outgrinds Sarah Saribes Tormo, the number 32 seed, for a straight set victory. Wasn't always pretty, but Kostyuk showed off the many talents and makes her a promising young star in the women's game. Want to reflect on her performance here in today's show. And then, of course, we got to talk about the upsets. Hubi Hercots, stunningly knocked out in straight sets from Adrian Manorino. I would argue that's the first real upset of the tournament. I'll explain why on today's show. And then, of course, we'll talk about the matches that went the distance. How did the top seeds look? Ashley Barty, is she clearly the front runner at this point? Or has Naomi Osaka looked good enough to make it a 1A, 1B sort of discussion on the men's side? Again, no Novak Djokovic in that top quarter. Who is making the most of their opportunity? We'll uh, explore that here today as well. But of course, before we do any of that, I want to remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are made possible is because of the support we get from all of you and because of the support we get from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family as well, that you all continue to tune in day in, day out, listen to my nonsense. It means the world to me, means the world to our Cracked Rackets team. So on behalf of all of us, thank you for continuing to tune in. If you are looking for some additional Australian Open coverage, you can join our Patreon family family today. You'll get match of the day segments each and every day. I talk about the match I am watching most closely on any given day of the event. That's something we do, excuse me, throughout the course of the year as well. So again, if you want to support our work, that's one channel, one mechanism of doing so. Just go to the website, crackrackets.com. Of course, by the way, mini bra, excuse me, great shot podcast, ace of the day segments each and every day as well. I'm offering my picks. We're nine and 10 overall on selections, but up plus 0.45 units for the tournament. Anytime you're in the positives, you consider that a victory. And I think we're going to heat up from here, folks. So again, you can hear picks, predictions, and more importantly, breakdown of each and every day's play. I go through the entire board of matches over on that great shot podcast feed. So again, preview content on the great shot podcast feed, recap content here on the mini break podcast feed throughout the course of the next two weeks all of that available on our website crackrackets.com of course lastly gotta give a shout out to our friends over at tennis point latest greatest equipment all at the best prices all one location tennis-point.com 
Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's talk about day three. At the 2022 Australian Open, the place we start is with the funkiest match of the day. Sebastian Corda ultimately able to escape. He earns a five-set victory over uh, Quarantine Mute. And, I mean, look, it wasn't the prettiest day. There's no denying that for Sebastian Corda. There were many different things that went awry for him in his game. You look at the stats from this match. From a winner-unforced-error ratio perspective, that number favors Quarantine Mute. You look overall for the match, again, a pretty even number, but ultimately Quarantine Mute, 61 winners against 58 unforced errors. Sebastian Corda, 67 winners, so six-winner advantage, 92 unforced errors. Let me say that again. 92 unforced errors. He was minus 25 in the winner to unforced error count. Mute was plus three. You look total points one. Mute 194. Sebastian Corda 186. So how did Sebastian Corda ultimately end up winning this match? Honest to God, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you look for Sebastian Corda, A, and I think this is a key component, he should have won this match. From a weapons perspective, the Corda serve is bigger, the Corda forehand is bigger, the Corda backhand is bigger. What does Quarantine Mute actively do to hurt Sebastian Corda? Point in, point out the answer to that question is the best version of Sebastian Corda? Not much. Go watch the Cam Nori footage. Look at how Corda systematically broke down everything Nori was trying to throw at him and just was able to track down all of the angles, inject pace into every rally he played, dominate on the serve plus one ball. He struggled with all of those things in this match against Mute, and you have to give credit to Mute, who just plays an an uncomfortable game style for opponents to match up with. He's going to mix in a ton of backhand slice, drop shots. My coach used to call these flip shots, which are short cross-court angle shots. And, you know, again, he'll mix in the lobs. He's going to throw a neutral slice at you that you think, ooh, should I approach on this ball? And then you're going to hit a not-as-perfect approach. And he's going to use his speed, his athleticism, his improvisational skills to come up with the goods in the outer thirds of the court. That's exactly what he did to bait Sebastian Corda into approaching the net as frequently as he did. And I want to give Corda credit because he did not back down. He said, you know what? If you are going to give me this short ball, logic says I need to approach. I need to dictate. And I may not win all of these points, but over time, me being on my front foot, me approaching, me having this aggressive court positioning is going to win out in the end. And that, my friends is how Sebastian Corda won this match. It was his willingness to continue to move forward. And yeah, it was sloppy at times. And again, those 92 unforced errors, some of that, some of the time there were frustrations for him in particular set number one and set number three, I thought in the breaker when he just, and honestly through the beginning of set four, when he was pressing a little bit with his approach shots, being overly aggressive because Mute was coming up with the goods in the outer thirds and landing these magnificent passing shots. But ultimately, Corda's consistent aggression won out in the end. And look again, you look at the number 66 of 94, that's a 70% uh, conversion rate. That's a pretty high number for Sebastian Corda moving forward. That's indicative of a successful game style being employed. And yes, there were many errors, but he continued to hit through those errors. He continued to have confidence in himself, stick to the game plan, which for a guy who's still 21 years old, 
It's all you can ask him to do at this point of his career, and there is no denying he, you know, there was a significant drop-off in his level between this match and the match against Cam Nori. and to be honest, the Cam Nori match was a cleaner match. Nori doesn't play as much slice. Nori is going to try and open up angles, cross-court, 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 until he can open up the down-the-line, change direction at you, and Sebastian Corda is just better at line-drive tennis than 90% of people out there. The difference being, Quarantine Mute doesn't do that. He doesn't make the tennis pretty. He's not playing, you know, two cross, one line sort of tennis. He's mixing in drop shots and, you know, you're playing in the center third, but you're slicing and all of these different, uh, but, you know, and so you're bending over and you're not hitting the ball cleanly in your strike zone. He just threw junk at Sebastian Corda throughout the course of this match. He also returned extraordinarily well, put so many serves deep on the body of Sebastian Corda and, again, forced him to make these difficult choices within the rally. That's how he earns 23 breakpoint chances for himself. Now, the Achilles heel for Mute. Sebastian Corda made 73% of his first serves, won 65% of those first serve points, 57% of his second serve points. But, you know, whenever he needed a first serve, he found it. And he used that first serve to set up the second ball so effectively throughout the course of this match. And that's been a development for him, I think, throughout his two wins in Australia, even if the execution hasn't always been perfect. But in the end for Quarantine Mute, again, had his chances, served for the match, up 5-4 in the fourth, was unable to get to a match point you know, was down a break for the majority of that fifth set, gets the break back, had accumulated some momentum, had the crowd behind him entering that fifth set breaker, quarter shut it down. A couple of aces down the tee to start uh, in the first six points of the tiebreaker, and then just, again, kept pressing forward, kept forcing Mute to come up with excellence, which is really hard to do in the pressure of a fifth set breaker. So, Credit to Corda, right? Survive in advance. That's what he's able to do. Five-set victory for him again over Quarantine Mute. And you look for Sebastian Corda now. You know, things get interesting. He's got a matchup with number 19 seed Pablo Carreno Busta. Carreno Busta, a 53% favorite according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. That's actually the lowest number in the top half of the draw. The closest projected match on day number five on the men's side yeah, the best version of Corda has the weapons, absolutely, to give Pablo Crano Busta problems. And Crano Busta is coming off of a physical five set win over Talon Greek Sport that I'll talk about in a bit. On paper, it's a very, very winnable match. And Crano Busta doesn't throw the, the junk, the slices that, you know, Quarantine Mute is going to throw at you, but he does throw the short angles. He does change direction extraordinarily well. Now, it's, you know, I don't want to say a righty version of Cam Nori because I don't think it's exactly similar, but. It's a much more clean style of tennis if you're Sebastian Corda, and I think that's a matchup he prefers. But still, winning when you're not playing your best is an essential trait of any top player on, in professional tennis, men's or women's side. And Corda won without playing his best. And you know, at one point, Quarantine Mute is complaining about the conditions, the you know court, and all of these different things. And Corda blocked all of that out, and you could see the elation in his face when he ultimately wins the match. Impressed by the tennis? No. Impressed by the mental fortitude? Absolutely. It was weird, but Sebastian Corda advances in five sets. Now, again, that match was weird, and simultaneously, there was just nonsense happening in Denis Shapovalov. 7-6-6-7-6-7-7-5-6-2 victory over Sun Wu Kwan. And I would like to be clear, and I think longtime listeners of this podcast will know Sun Wu Kwan. Longtime fans here at Crack Rackets of his game style. Very high floor, match in, match out. That's why we saw him have success across surfaces last season. 
good mover and a guy who gets every ounce out of his body, 5'10", we'll say, and, you know, puts all of that momentum into the ball, able to take that ball early on the rise and comfortable moving forward, condensed ground strokes, backswings on both wings. Sun Wukong does a lot well, and he prevents a tough challenge, but this match was on Denis Shapovalov's match, uh, racket from start to finish. And Shapovalov's execution at multiple times in this match was shaky at best. Now, he gets away with it in the end, 29 aces, but 10 double faults. Not great, Bob. You know, wins 81% of his first serve points at a 66% clip. That's indicative of when he's playing first serve front foot tennis, Denis Shapovalov flashes the skill set to be elite at that sort of tennis. 43% though, on his second serve points won. 7 of 19, 7 of 19 on break point chances won. And let's be clear, that number is extraordinarily helped by that 6-2 fifth set. 81 winners against 77 unforced errors, pretty impressive in the end. But you look at those fifth set numbers for Shabaval, and remember, he was plus 4 in that uh, going into that fifth set plus 10 overall. So he's minus 5 in that fifth set, excuse me, plus 10 in the fifth set, plus 4 overall. So you know he's minus 6 going into that portion and just he committed uh five unforced errors in that uh fifth set. You know, again, overall for the match, he commits uh, 77 unforced errors. 72 unforced errors in four sets of tennis is pretty impressive. I know Karatsev had the 100 number in the first round, but let's not sell what Shapovalov did short here. Now again, when he was on his front foot, that 81% win percentage on the first serve, the 34 of 40 at the net, he was better. You know, he had bigger weapons. He was just as athletic. He was able to play front foot and dictate against Sun Wukwan when it mattered most, and in particular down the home stretch of sets four and set five. And I do the glass half full take, if you are a can- Canadian tennis fan, if you are a fan of Denis Shapovalov, is how, how fit he looked down the home stretch of that match. Four and a half hours on court, guy looked like he could have played another hour or two if need be, there are always kernels of things to grab onto when you watch Denis Shapovalov. That's why he's so polarizing as a prospect, because you can see what the best version of him looks like with the lefty serve and how big he can rip the forehand, his willingness to move forward, his daring in the outer thirds, the athleticism that he brings, the fluidity power combination elite But it's about putting the whole game plan together, plans B, C, and D, playing defensive tennis and, you know, again, converting on your breakpoint chances, not let Sun Wukong continue to pick on your backhand wing with, you know, I would argue 60% of the serves went to the Denis Shapovalov backhand. And, you know, the longer the point, the more success Sun Wukong had. You look overall in the match, Sun Wukong uh, ultimately plus eight in the rallies that went five plus shots, but Shapovalov can be elite with his plus one ball. He's plus 29 in that category. That's what ultimately wins him the match. Again, he pads that number certainly in the fifth set. But if you're a Shapovalov fan, that's what you're holding on to is, yeah, it was another inconsistent performance, but he manages to win these inconsistent performances now. And obviously prior in his career, that was not always the case. Denis Shapovalov, five set win. You look for him now. Things going to get funky. He's got the big man, Riley Opelka, and right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Shapovalov, a 57.4% favorite. Riley Opelka has played better than Shapovalov this season. Opelka has been broken. You know, Opelka, straight set win over Dom Kofer. He was broken in the opening game of the match, not broken the rest of the way. Ultimately won in straight sets with the only tiebreaker not coming in that first set when he was broken, but actually in that third set, indicative of the fact that, again, three breaks of serve for Riley were moving in the right direction. I mean, yeah. 
Like, by form, there is no no doubt in my mind. Riley Opelka has served better, and his serve into that Shapovalov backhand, you can see the recipe for Riley now. He should be the favorite based on their form. But that will also be finally a match where Shapovalov isn't the overwhelming favorite. Maybe he plays a little bit more freely. Maybe the struggles here in rounds one and two allows him to find his form, work his way into that Opelka match. So many fascinating day three battles in that top half of the draw. Berrettini, Alcaraz, hello. Hachinov, Nadal, hello. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff up and down the board. Garin versus Monfils is going to be interesting as well, just from a physical standpoint. Even Kesmenovic, Senego, I can talk myself into. The only one I'm out on is Zvira versus Albot. Do not need to see that. Ranarino versus Karatsev, no thank you as well. But, you know, again, Shapovalov, Opelka next. Like, to get into week number two, he will feel as though he should win that match. And he will need to play better if he wants to win that match. Nevertheless, he gives himself the opportunity. He escapes into the third round is Canadian Denis Shapovalov. Now, with that in mind, we've gone glass half empty. Let's talk glass half full. But a couple of performers who looked exceptional, but, you know, showed off their promising young talent on day number three. One of them, of course, has been one of the stories of 2022 on the tennis court. Amanda Anisimova, signature win for her 6-2-7-5 over Belinda Bencic. I mentioned this yesterday on Twitter. You look for Amanda Anisimova. Throughout her comeback run, you know, she had been borderline dominant uh, just in general uh, against, you know, opponents ranked outside the top 50 and, you know, had had a decent amount of success. I think it was 500 or just under against top 50 opponents overall, but was 0-8 against top 20 opponents. And I know Bencic was the number 22 seed, but gold medalist at the uh, at the Olympics. And where else do you win a gold medal? Gold medalist at the Olympics, U.S. Open quarterfinalist as well, was playing some really good ball. And unfortunately, you could tell she hurt her back, wasn't quite able to move as well. And, you know, her movement has never been her calling card. But credit to Amanda Nisimova. 28 winners against 24 unforced errors in this match. But most pressingly, held, Anis- uh, held Bencic, excuse me, to just 10 winners in the match. And look, Belinda Bencic was going Mach 5, and that's what she does. Such a brilliant ball striker, taking that ball early on the rise, changing direction, and just hitting the swinging volley as well. I thought Anisimova actually won the the movement battle, which, again, Bencic a bit injured in this match, so you take it with a grain of salt, but the way Anisimova uses her length and anticipation skills to make up for her a lack of elite first step, and if she gets her racket on the ball with her strength, with her length, she's going to generate depth and action on those ground strokes, and she was able to do that. Whenever the match it felt like got stretched into the outer thirds of the court, that's when Anisimova would win those rallies, and of course, you look at the serving numbers for Nisimova, she wins 74% of her first serve points. Bencic at 58%, although I think that serve was compromised by the Bencic back injury. Anisimova, 50% win percentage on the second serve. Bencic, 10 of 26, 38% win percentage. Anisimova was a better server. Her first serve was the biggest weapon. Her second serve return was just her returns in general were better than Bencic's on the day. She got great depth, great length on her shot, and it's so fun watching her hit backhands because you just keep wondering. You're like, all right, I know that ball is going to land. Just when is it go? Oh, it landed on the baseline. And just the depth she's able to generate with such ease. And then you can see when she you know, goes Mach 5 on the racket speed, on the power. It was super impressive 
for uh, uh, Amanda Nisimova, despite the injuries. Again, that 7-5 second set, Benchich kept swinging. You know, Benchich kept going after the plus one. And while she only had 10 winners, I wonder how many forced errors she produced on the day. But credit to Amanda Nisimova. When you look at the rally breakdown, she wins the 0-4 to four shot rallies by 6. And then she's plus uh, 9 in the 5-plus shot rallies as well. Just a comprehensive victory for Anisimova. And again, when you look at Amanda Anisimova now, uh, wins over Kasikina, Kirstea, Benchich here to start the season. She's won her first seven matches, has the showdown next with Naomi Osaka. But look, she's got the weapons to make Osaka at least uncomfortable and, you know, play her, I don't want to say 50-50 because I still think the Osaka serve and the backhand and Osaka's movement's better. I think Osaka just does everything a little bit better than Amanda Anisimova does, although I think the Amanda Anisimova forehand it's probably a little bit more simple, a little bit more consistent. Osaka, though, again, a little bit better of a mover, more than just a little. But it's going to be power versus power tennis, and you look for Amanda Anisimova now. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Uh, you look for her in her career. Let's see, overall, against top 10 opponents, which is what we really should consider uh, at this point, Anisimova is 3-14. and 14. Okay, maybe there's not as strong of a case for her against Osaka. Maybe these weapons are going to be the differentiating factor, but it's just worth watching. No doubt about that. The last time Anisimova beat a top 10 player, Alina Svitolina, Doha 2020. Prior to that, it was her win over Halep in Roland Garros, her only other win uh, over a top 10 opponent, Petra Kvitova, 2018 Indian Wells. I mean, look, when Anisimova's playing on her front foot, she can go power shot for power shot with anyone. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. Amanda Nisimov is back, folks. She's back in the mix. Her weapons, just when she's serving well, when she's connecting on the return, she can beat anyone. And so that is just a fantastic thing, given all the hardships she's endured over the past 18 months. Great to have Anisimova back in the tennis ecosystem. Straight set win for her over number 22 seed Belinda Bencic. She also had another young star, Marta Kostyuk, 7-6-6-3 over Sarah Cerebez-Tormo. This match was funky, and you look overall, 0-4 shot rallies. They played 50 0-4 shot rallies. Marta Kostyuk, in total, won 49 5-plus shot rallies. So again, 50 total 0-4, 49 5-plus shot points, simply won by Marta Kostyuk. And she was, by the way, plus 10 in those uh, 5-plus shot rallies, which is extraordinarily difficult to do uh, when playing someone as physically gifted who's going to extend all these rallies like Sarah Cerebez Tormo will. But credit to Marta Kostyuk, and I think the big number that stands out to me when you look at the stats uh, from this match uh, in general for uh, uh, Marta Kostyuk, excuse me, 29 of 43 at the net. Much like I mentioned with Sebastian Corda, she identified very early the slice that Cerebez Tormo plays with, the junk Cerebez Tormo. Actually, this was very similar to the Corda match, just Kostyuk executed the game plan better than Corda did. And look, there were times when Kostyuk was willing to play moonball tennis and endure those extra, you know, five balls in the rally she had to hit just to set up the right short ball, set up the right approach shot, but she found that right approach shot. She kept moving forward, and, you know, again, physically, she was in for the fight. 33 winners against 42 unforced errors. That's pretty balanced when you're playing someone like Cerebez Tormo. Good balance of aggression and discipline when paired with the 29-43 at the net and the fact that she won 61% of her first serve points, the fact that she won 45% of her receiving points, Marta Kostya can do a lot of things well on a tennis court, and that's what makes her so intriguing and appealing as a prospect. And, you know, only 19 years old, you look for Marta Kostyuk. It's the second time, I believe, in her career 
she's made a third round or further at a Grand Slam. She made round of 16. Oh, no, I actually think she might have done it at the Australian Open a couple of years ago. So it might be the fourth time. Let's see. For Marta Kostyuk in her career, third rounds, Grand Slams overall, I believe. Yeah, this is her fourth. Yeah, because Australian Open 2018 when she was, what, 15 years old? Uh, yeah, 15 years old. She made the third round before getting knocked out by Svitolina. She's back into the third round once again four years later. Fantastic matchup coming up with her friend Paula Bedosa. And, I mean, you look for Kostyuk. Started off the 2021 season with a bang, right? You look at what she was able to do in Abu Dhabi, works her way uh, all the way to the semifinals there and, you know, semifinals in Istanbul, round of 16 in Roland Garros, but she stumbled down the home stretch of the season. Now, got a good semifinal, beat Radakanu in Romania at the end of the year before getting knocked out brutally. I believe it was 0-1, yeah, by Simona Halep, but, you know, Disappointing round one at the U.S. Open, knocked out by Sakari, loses in Chicago to Gracheva and Kozlova, respectively. You know, those are matches she feels she should be winning. And, you know, again, Marta Kostyuk's got a lot of all-surface talent, whether it be her ability to move forward, take that ball early, on the rise, just all of these different things that Marta Kostyuk's able to do. And then the athleticism, sneaky good mover uh, in the inner and outer thirds of the courts and just, you know, someone who can do a lot of things well. And so I'm a big fan of uh, Marta Kostyuk's game. She doesn't have overwhelming pace, but she's got good pace. She's not an exceptional volleyer, but she's a willing volleyer. She's not the elite. Uh, well, she might be an elite athlete, to be honest, that combination of fluidity and power. There's just a lot to like about Marta Kostyuk and, and to steal a Ben Rothenberg term, she's got main character energy. She believes she can be and is the story and should be the best player. And all of the spotlight that's gone to Raducanu and Leila Fernandez and all these other young stars should be hers moving forward. Keep your eye on Marta Kostyuk. Yes, it was an upset, but was it an upset? 7-6-6-3 over Sarah Cerebez Tormo. Again, fascinating matchup coming up for Kostyuk against Paula Bedosa. Those were your two women's upset upsets, and just to you know, kind of recap where we're at on the women's side, Anisimova Benchic uh, and Cerebus Tormo, excuse me, knocked out. They joined Jabor, who withdrew with injury. Kennan, Kerber, Goff, Kvitova, Benchic, Fernandez, and Cerebus Tormo. Now all of the seeds who have been eliminated. The Goff first round loss, shocking. I would say on that list, that's the only shocking upset on the women. Oh, and Layla Fernandez losing to Madison Inglis, probably surprising as well. Those are the only two shocking ones. You know, on the men's side, I think we got our first shocking upset of the event is Hoopy Hercots, not just knocked off, knocked off in straight sets by Adrian Manorino, 6-4, 6-2, And with all due respect to Hoopy in this match, he just didn't have it. Like, from the start, and, you know, you look for Hoopy Hercots overall in terms of the stats from this one. I mean, he made 65% of his first serves. He hit 11 aces. That sounds good, right? Well, overall, he only won 57% of his first serve points, 44% of his second serve points, was 11 of 26 at the net. And I think a big reason why that number A is so low and B so uh, unsuccessful was just he got passed a couple of times early on ridiculous passing shots from Adrian Manorino, who played a lights-out first set about as well as he could have played. And 
I, I do think that made a difference in this match. It just kind of shook Hercotts' confidence. And then, you know, I think he tried to settle in and tried to make this match a physical grind, tried to say, you know, I don't think there's anything Manorino can do to hurt me in these rallies. But in the five-plus shot rallies, Manorino ultimately plus 15 overall. And then perhaps even more surprisingly, he was plus 10 in the zero to four shot rallies also. There was just a tentativeness, a passivity to Hubi that slipped into this performance. And again, it's certainly disappointing. He was playing well at the ATP Cup, had momentum coming into this, obviously made that slam semifinal run last year. And you just felt like with how things open were in the top half of the draw, certainly him holding seed, a potential matchup, I think, with Rafa in the quarterfinals, or maybe it would be round of 16, whatever it may be, felt very, very likely in the cards. And just who he just he was again he didn't quite have his a game yesterday and he is a guy who can also do plan b do plan c do plan d extraordinarily well but just struggled yesterday again got passive was unwilling to move forward 26 times to the net is not enough i don't care how well manarino was seemingly moving and you know again all these different things it would just it was not Hoobie's best, and I apologize for ripping on him here because, as you listeners know, we're big believers in Hoobie's talent. He epitomizes a lot of the characteristics you would want in modern men's tennis. Credit to Manorino, though. You look overall for him in the match. I mean, Manorino hits 26 winners against just 28 unforced errors. By the way, Hurkacz, 29 to 40. You look for him 15 of 21 at the net, made 66% of his first serves, won 71% of his first serve points, 6 of 14 on break point chances. By the way, that was the other thing. Hubi in this match, 1 of 10 on break point chances. The opportunities to get into this was there, but he could just never secure that breakthrough moment because I do think in the biggest moments, he wasn't moving forward. He wasn't going big up the line and, you know, again, doing the things that make Hubie Hurkot so dangerous. He was playing passive tennis, and that was surprising for Hubie, who outside of that Wimbledon semifinal run has had some struggles at the Grand Slams. You look for him last year, U.S. Open. He loses to Seppi. This loss to Manorino. Last year, first round loss Australia, I believe, to Mikhail Emer. Got a first-round win, so technically that's improvement for him from a points perspective, but this was a missed opportunity for him. Very winnable match, very achievable second week. Still, credit to Manorino, who advances. And by the way, you look for Adrian Manorino in his career at the Grand Slams. And, you know, he's a guy who has been top 25 in his career, but you look for him overall. Again, at Grand Slams, how many third rounds has he made in his career. This will be Grand Slam third round number 10. Now, he's never advanced past the third round of a Grand Slam at anywhere but Wimbledon. Uh, You look for him, it's his third time in the Australian Open third round. He lost to team in three sets 2018. He lost to uh, Zverev last year, straight sets 2021. This is a good result for him to do this again. It's either hard quit. It's never going to be on a clay court. And so certainly this was an opportunity for Adrian Manorino, who, you know, is down to number 69 in the world now into the round of 32. will take the points. Certainly this helps guarantee he's going to be getting into Masters qualifying, perhaps even getting in at his own vol- on his own volition, defends those points from last year as well. Always so critical. But missed opportunity for Hoobie is certainly one of my takeaways from the match. Nevertheless, it's Manorino advancing, and as I referred to, next up for Adrian Manorino, a date with Aslan Karatsev. With that in mind, let's talk about the matches that went the distance, and then we'll get to how our top seeds performed. You look at the, you know, we already mentioned Chapo, Corda, the other match that went the distance on the day. Pablo Crinobusta, five-set win over Talon Greek Spore. I mentioned this yesterday. I mentioned it on Twitter as well. 
Look, Greekspur's forehand was the biggest weapon on the court, and the heaviness of that ball, I don't care who you are, just the weight of that shot, the depth he's able to get on it, the direction he's able to get on it, it's very, very difficult to deal with. And it gave Carino Busta problems, no doubt about that. Now, Carino Busta did an excellent job of serving with pace to the Greek Spore forehand because that backswing, you know, when you hit, attack it with pace, he doesn't have time to get into it, and he'll either give you a short ball, shank something short, or just draw an outright error altogether. And, you know, again, physically, Carino Busta, each point he played, extending each rally, an extra shot was a setup so that when he got to the fifth set, he knew he was ready for the battle. But unfortunately for Greek Spore, he had some cramps and just, you know, wasn't able to fully physically be himself in that fifth set. But Talon Griegsport is here to stay. 30-1 and one since the start of the U.S. Open, now 30-2 and two since the start of the U.S. Open. His two losses, five sets to Carino Busta and to Djokovic at the U.S. Open. It's a pretty good resume. I don't care if most of the wins came at the challenger level. That means you're ready to play a full slate of ATP matches. And he proved in this match, even on a hard court, he was ready you know, to beat a top 20 player, put himself in position to do just that play, you know, was down in that second set breaker, ends up coming back, taking it and just seemingly seizing some momentum, takes that momentum again, back in the fourth set as well. Just bravo to Talon Greeksport. This was a nice performance. He earns a victory, five sets to advance. On the women's side, your matches that went the distance, Svitolina, 5-1 up in the third when Tan forced to retire. We hope she is okay Svitolina's not playing her best ball, but she's surviving. And ultimately, again, you give yourself another match opportunity. You give yourself one more chance to play your best ball. Ostapenko, Ostapenko, that match against Ali Risk was exactly what we thought it would be in the end. Ostapenko, 6-4 in the third over Risk. Hey, she's always dangerous. I mean, when she's clicking with the ball, connecting, she it matches her on her terms. She can rip a winner by anyone. And you look for Ostapenko, Krejcikova up next. I mean, the women's third rounds are just silly, folks. Bedosa, Kostyuk, Svitolina, Azarenka, Ostapenko, Krejcikova, Sakari, Kudermatova, Osaka taking on Anisimova, Georgie taking on Bardi. Yeah, that top half, it's ready to rock and roll. On the women's side, of course, you also got got to give a shout-out to Wang, who knocks up Van Udvank, 6-3 in the third. Those were your matches that went the distance. Now, got to talk about the top seeds. Briefly offer my thoughts on day four as well. Let's start on the women's side. Naomi Osaka, excuse me, Ashley Barty's dropped three games. Three games in four sets on her way to the third round. Now, of course, things going to heat up next as she's got Georgie, but she's been dominant. She's moving well. She's serving well. She's striking the forehand well, hitting through the two-handed backhand comfortably because why not? You're up 6-love or 6-1 or 4-0 in all of these sets and just moving forward with confidence. She looks fitter and fitter, moving more fluidly with each passing match. Hasn't been thoroughly tested yet, but hasn't given her opponents a chance to test her. She's just been dominant. Barty's bartied. The slice is landing with depth. She can win this tournament. One and one victory for her over Bronzetti. Ditto, by the way, with Barbara Krejcikova, who was dominant over Petkovic in her first match. Two and three win over Wong in her match today. And, I mean, again, Krejcikova, just what's the weakness? Yeah, she's not an elite mover. She doesn't have elite, elite power on the serve, but she does everything well. And so, super well-rounded game, well-rounded game. I thought Sakari was demonstrably better. 
in this matchup than she was in round number one. She wins a 6-1, 6-4 match over Zhang. Still not hitting the ball with quite the oomph she was when playing her best last season, but I think that's a confidence thing. I think she has moved more fluidly and found her bearings in each match. With each match she's played this season, excuse me, I think that's obviously the most important thing moving forward. Bedosa's rolling. I mean, she is playing well enough to win the tournament. 0-3 victory for her. Ditto for Naomi Osaka, who, as expected, just, you know, again, came out with a purpose. Madison Brangle did not have the weapons to hurt her. Madison Brangle did not have the serve to disrupt her rhythm. And Osaka cruised in that first set and then was on cruise control in set number two, but ultimately six love, six four victory for her. Pagula struggled at the beginning against Bernarda Perra, and that's what Perra does best. The lefty, always tricky, always going to make you uncomfortable, but Pagula once again finding her rhythm. Best match she's played of the season by far. Yeah, it was a three-set win for her over Kalanina, which on paper, more impressive, but there were aspects of dominance in this one. 6-4-6-4 win for Pagula back into the third round has salvaged this Australia stretch. Vika's a contender, folks. One and two victory over Jill Teichman. Now thirty six and ten on hard court since the tour resumed play in August of twenty twenty. Uh, she's striking the ball brilliantly, moving better and better with each match as well. Again, contender, top two tier sort of contender. And if she beats, uh, and I believe her matchup, yeah, is Svitolina. If she beats Svitolina in straight sets comfortably again, then it's just kind of like, oh yeah, nope, you have to be one of the best players with weapons to hurt her. Because otherwise, you know, again, she beat Bedosa in week one, loses in three sets to Shiantek, who I think is also a top tier contender. Like this, the proof says Victoria Azarenka is playing exceptional ball right now. The results keep indicating that as well. Dominant one and two win over Jill Teichman, who just couldn't hurt her in this match. Straight set wins for Kudermatova and Georgie as well, just quietly holding seed, which again, when you're the 28-30 seed, that's what you can ask for. Give yourself a shot at one of those top 10 players. Just beat the players you're supposed to beat. That's what they've done. They've now got, obviously, pressing matchups coming up. Sakari for Kudermatova, Bardi for Georgie. You could essentially say Madison Keys is the 11 seed. She beat Sonia Kennan, who was the 11 seed entering this event, and she was obviously the favorite entering that match. Uh, she knocks out Christine, 6 2 7 5, struggled a bit in the second set, ultimately able to, able to hit her way through those problems. I mean, again, she's also top three tier contender and has a very winnable match over Chong Wong next. We should, as we said at the start of this tournament, as we will continue to say now, I expect to see Madison Keys in week two of this 2022 uh, Australian Open. Shout out, and you know, you got to say for Parisa's Diaz as well. Knocks out Zanevska, uh, knocks out Zanevska, excuse me, Parisa's Diaz. Big moment for her into the third round. Unfortunately, gets a withdrawal from Zanevska. Nevertheless, she'll take it into uh, a Grand Slam third round, building on all of the success she had last year. On the men's side, Svirov was just better than he was in round number one physically. He's on another planet than 99%, of the top 100, but 99% of pro players. Just Millman couldn't hurt him. Zvira found his rhythm, 4-4-0. Nadal got pushed. That's the most complicated 6-2-6-3-6-4 victory I've ever seen with that scoreline. It was, what, two hours, 45 minutes of a straight set match, and Look, Hanifman pressed him, used his size and, you know, to take the Rafa ball early and on the rise and swings through his backhand so well, was willing to serve and volley, move forward. I actually went on three, a tennis show, our friend Gil Gross's show, focusing on the big three to discuss Rafa's form. So if you want to hear more on him, go check that out. And it is one of my favorite shows out there as well. So if you're not already, go give it a listen. Um, But 
yeah, Rafa, two, three, four over Yannick Hanifman. Hanifman pushed him, made the match physical. Credit to Rafa for answering that test physically. I didn't think he quite had the sting on the forehand, quite had the sting on uh, the serve either, but I also think Hanifman played particularly well, and Rafa was still able to weather that storm. So two, three, and four. I thought he played better in round two than he did in round one. I just think you know, you notice there, Hanifman, 6'5", can take the ball early on the rise, get into the net. You know who else can do that? Hachinov, Medvedev, Zverev, three players Nadal likely will have to beat to win this title. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he continues to perform moving forward. You know who you got to feel for? And I forgot to include this in the marathon matches. Christian Green, 6'7", 7'6", 266262 over Pedro Martinez. I guaranteed before the start of the day. Guarantee that match at least four hours, at least four sets. It goes at least four hours. It ends up going five sets. So that felt like the lock of the century. Should have bet it in our ace of the day segment. Nevertheless, Christian Garin, what did we ask? Give us 500 ball on the hard courts this year. Two five-set victories, but he scraps his way, holds seed into the third round. It's going to be another physical matchup if he plays his best against Guillaume Monfils, who cruised to a straight-set victory over Sasha Bublik, and Monfils has looked sneaky exceptional early here in the season. Obviously wins a title in the warm-up to this Australian Open. 1-0-4 against Bublik, who just didn't have the consistency and as much firepower as he has. That's when Monfils thrives. So credit to Guillaume Monfils. Straight-set victory for him. Credit to Aslan Karatsev. Looked like he had dead legs. Looked like Mackie McDonald was just going to take that ball early on the rise, use his speed to make Karatsev uncomfortable. And Karatsev, again, the unforced errors continued in the first set. Mackie takes it 6-3. But then Karatsev was just on his front foot. He dominated the court positioning battle on top of that baseline and the heaviness of his ball. It overwhelmed Mackie, who is as athletic as is going to come, but just so much. Again, Karatsev's hands are so fast. His racket speed to get under that forehand and the whip and the topspin he's able to generate, even when, again, it feels like he starts his backswing at the last second. It's so impressive how he gets his hands under the backhand to generate the topspin. It overwhelmed Mackie. And just, again, you could see Karatsev's confidence grow in sets two, three, and four, and Look, he's the beneficiary of the upset. He gets Adrian Manorino next. That's a match he's got to be licking his chops for. And he's got semifinal points to defend. So credit to Karatsev. I thought this was the tricky one. Now that he's through, things get interesting. Four last year's semifinalists. I mentioned Opelka earlier. He's cruising. Broken in his first game. Gets two breaks in the first set. Four, three, and six over Dom Kopfer into the third round of this Australian Open. Now a blockbuster matchup coming up for Opelka as he's taken on Denis Shapovalov. But big man's found some consistency, and that is the scariest thing possible for the rest of the ATP Tour. Sinego, four-set victory. He looked good, weathered the Oscar to serve. Hatchinov looked much better today than he did in round one. 4-0-5 over Benjamin Bonzi. Carlos Alcaraz, things got shaky for him in the third set, but 2-1-5. and five. He's one of the six guys, in my opinion, who can win this tournament. It's Medvedev, Zverev, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Sinner, and Alcaraz. Those are my. It's going to be one of those six guys. I feel very, very confident about that. I mean, the guy's just ridiculous for an 18-year-old. We spent so much time talking about Alcaraz. If you want to hear my thoughts on him, go check out the work we did this offseason. Shout out to Kasmanovic. Physical, physical match against Tommy Paul, but ultimately Tommy had a bunch of chances, just not able to get over the finish line, had a bunch of breakpoint chances to take uh, 
a 6-5 lead in the second set, had a, a set a couple of set points in the first set breaker as well, and had his chances in the third set breaker also, but ultimately Kesmanovic 7-6-7-5-7-6. He's made the most of Novak Djokovic's withdrawal into the third round and not a glaring weakness for Kesmanovic. He did a good job identifying the Tommy Paul forehand as the side he needed to attack with pace, and Paul gave him plenty of unforced errors on that wing. But man, Kesmanovic is willing to move forward. He is willing to volley. He's got sneaky good pop, sneaky good athlete for a guy who doesn't have overwhelming size like so many of these modern guys do. Not quite the Shapovalov explosiveness, but never lacks in athleticism, in movement, and can move the ball really well around the court. This is a good win for Miamir Kesmanovic. Good win for Radu Elbad, by the way. Vukic just never found his rhythm. So for Radu Elbad, 6-4-7-6-6-4. He advances to round number three and a date. I believe, I don't want to be incorrect, with Alex Virov, if memory, yep, with Alex Virov, if memory serves me correct, and it does. With that in mind, those are your results on day number three of this 2022 Australian Open. Want to quickly offer my thoughts on day four's action, back half of the second round, of course, in the men's and women's singles competition. You look at the women's matches, Conteve Tawson. Conteve's won, I think, 73% of her matches, 73.4% of her matches since the start of last season. Tawson, 72.8. Obviously, Conteve's level of competition a little bit higher, but two rising stars. Conteve in the midst of her prime. Tawson showing us what that ceiling might look like for her moving forward. Power tennis, the key. Tawson's backhand's the biggest weapon. Conteve's movement significantly better than Tawson, and her ability to move the ball around the court can expose that movement for Tawson. Interesting matchup, no doubt about that. You've also got Collins Konya, power tennis, power tennis, power tennis. That's going to be fun. Contrast of styles, Samsonova, who honorary invitee to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club on weekends, gets the diverse shot selection of Marketa Von Drusova. Best backhand drop shot in all of tennis, the short angles. Uh, 2019 Roland Garros finalist, 2021 silver medalist. That's going to be a fun one. You've got Halep versus Haddad Maya. If Halep cruises there, you know, the weapons of Haddad Maya aren't an issue. Maybe it is time to consider her a top contender. Then Kanepi Buzkova, you know, that's that's Von Drusova, Samsonova light. Kanepi versus Buzkova. On the men's side, I mean, Kyrgios, Medvedev, Blockbuster, you get the snacks ready. That's a doozy. Take your naps now so you can watch all of it. Tiafo Fritz, All-American Battle. Fritz, 2-1 to one career head-to-head advantage. Both guys 7-4 and four at the Slams last season. Fritz is desperate to make that first fourth round at a Grand Slam. Tiafo thrives in the three out of five set format. That's going to be a fun one. Evans Rindernesh, two guys who have played extraordinarily well to start the season, although I had heard rumors that Rindernesh may have retired from the match. So perhaps by the time you're all listening to this, you'll know that answer. FAA, Davidovich, Fokina, tons of athleticism. And then Demon Hour in front of a home crowd in Australia always brings out his best tennis. He may need it against Camille Matrizek, who obviously played exceptional at the ATP Cup into the second round here as well. Plenty of fun action for us to break down on tomorrow's show. And of course, we will be back tomorrow, hopefully earlier for all of you listeners to recap all of the action. Of course, if you're looking for predictions each day, a preview of each day's matches, Great Shot Podcast Feed is the place for you. Check out our Ace of the Day segment. Of course, all of our content Available on the website, 
CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. I'm staying up most of these nights, tweeting away through the matches at AL Gruskin as well. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out. A shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.